0: We are all fired up and ready to go. Here at News of the World. This is Tim Pritlove speaking and on the other side of the planet is Mark.
1: I'm I'm on fire.
0: You're on fire too? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Why you That's... put out the flames? <laughs> Let me know this is the 51st edition. Mm-hmm. So, as we mentioned last time, we, you know, had our golden Yeah jubilee for this section and because uh, we reached that goal i have finally delivered on the promise of listing all the news sources we have talked about yeah for and it a while looks now.
1: looks lovely tim lovely list now on the news of the world website it has its own tab
0: yes it has yeah, yeah. it's a page it's not only yeah. a page so and i like this you know if you click on the last link, you know, where discussion is, you can jump directly into the audio, the point in time in the uh, noted episode where we're talking actually about these sources. So if you want to get back to all these sources and if you find this list uh, interesting and um, maybe even useful for you, this Mm -hmm. is the place to go.
1: It's all available on News of the World.
0: It is. Now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Call now. Operators are standing by. Yes. Meanwhile.
0: Meanwhile, let's go back to the bad news. We have tons of bad news. I think it is.
1: Is it? (laughs) Well, no, it could. We don't know. There's a lot of news this week where we don't know what will happen. When
0: I was going through the list, I I was thinking like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that, too. Oh, that's but each,
1: weird. each time you were sadder. Yeah,
0: it's so, it's so depressing. So we start with Saudi Arabia.
1: Yes, let's go, people. Let's get sad. Yes. Uh, well, well, actually, this is just an interesting <laughs> and perhaps sad development. Now, I don't know how many people have been following. I hadn't noticed until this week. Uh, Saudi Arabia, as the nation known for oil... Uh, among other things, is going quite nuclear. And uh, this week, there were a few stories coming out, although it's been happening more and more the last two months, people reporting on the Saudi plans. Uh, they intend to build, in terms of power capacity, 17,000 megawatts of atomic or nuclear energy. In the next twenty years, and uh, this has made the news because some people are speculating you know what will happen if Saudi Arabia becomes a very nuclear state, uh, but I was curious about the details. Uh, Some interesting things for people who are into nuclear uh, power and how they get it. They want to build Generation 3 and and beyond Generation 3 advanced reactors. And they're looking uh, for designs that already exist. Nothing, Nothing new, nothing too cutting edge. And they're looking at these names that we know. Mitsubishi... Uh, from from Japan, we have France, uh, who's been looking to to build more plants in, in different parts of the world. I mean, these companies that, that build them, Arriva, which by the way runs trains in in the Netherlands. So you really get a feeling of how connected the world is. Nuclear uh-huh. plants in Saudi Arabia, <laughs> trains in the Netherlands. Uh, there's also Toshiba, Westinghouse, oh Hitachi or GE Hitachi. When did that name come together? And uh, Korea's KEPCO. And they're expecting to start building them in 2022. And the context that this comes in is, of course, after the Fukushima disaster, a lot of nations, even if they were planning to go into nuclear, uh, halted their plans. And a lot of people thought, uh oh, you know, not going to be as much nuclear investment. But uh, Saudi Arabia is sort of making everybody feel better, who, well, everybody who's in the nuclear business, because they're investing. Um, and towards the bottom of this, th- there's a Reuters article that, that really lists what's going on. Towards the bottom, they mention, uh, for example, for anyone who's keeping score, China is building 29,000-plus megawatts of, uh, of nuclear power plants in the coming years. And uh, they're not alone. Uh, India is building markedly smaller, 5,300 megawatts uh, in the coming years. And you have Russia Um, building 9,160 megawatts. Uh, Oh, no, they have 9,000. They're going up to 24. So that'll be quite um, an increase. Well, I mean, mentioning megawatts is interesting,
0: but I think what's the telling number here is the number of power plants that actually are being created. And uh, while China has 17 right now operating, Mm -hmm. um, they have actually planned 49 and there's another proposal of building another 120. So this is uh, getting close to 200. Uh, compare this with the current number of plants running in the US, which is 103, with another 20 or so being planned and, and, and proposed. So this is a huge number, and China is going to be the biggest nuclear um Party here in this uh, whole game soon if they are not changing course, which it doesn't really look like. But I was no. surprised that that Saudi Arabia was in that business now too, or it you know wants to go there. I mean, they have no specific plans. It's still all in the proposal phase. But mm. I mean, of course, they are looking for they are looking for the time after the oil. They are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I mean. What would you do when you're in Saudi Arabia regarding energy? All the energy they have in the soil is made from sun. you know? Right, right. And uh, sun, they have a lot. So I don't really know why they are going into this.
1: I, I think what happens in Saudi Arabia, when you have so much money uh, and you're a, a fairly weirdly run kingdom, where it's kind of the whims of very wealthy people uh, that are in government. I think you you start, uh, you know, you have all these relations because of oil and other economic connections. You start going, I want to do what people do in this world, what countries do. So wh- what do they do? Oh, they get nuclear? Yeah, we're going to do that too. I think that there's a sort of let's do business. I mean, I'm not saying they're just buying nuclear <laughs> to buy nuclear, but I think that there are sort of these these agreements that get made, you know? uh
0: Well, I mean, they're not really in the business of of, of, uh, aping everything everybody else is doing. I mean, (laughs) they they still do not allow women to drive cars, for instance. Right, that's true. (laughs) So that might be unrelated here, but... Um, Money
1: wise, though, they like to do the stuff that the big nations do. They like to, you know, they have the big military. So, so some people are speculating that there's a, a long term goal to be ready if Iran goes nuclear uh, in terms of weapons. Uh, but I don't know. I think this is more of a, you know, the, the country wants to show itself capable. And uh, for some reason, they don't feel solar is going to do it. I mean, I think they've done some small-scale investment in solar. So has the UAE, which is right next door. And they're also looking into nuclear energy.
0: Yeah, so you could think that this might be related to weapons somehow.
1: S- some people say. Uh, it's Again, it's all speculation, uh, but as a rival of iran some people say the biggest rival to iran i don't know that's a bit exaggerated these days everybody's a big rival to iran uh they say that if iran goes nuclear then saudi arabia would have to or would want to uh respond and they would go weapons grade nuclear uh but that i mean that implies then that they're getting nuclear energy you know for the country so that later they can get weapons and i don't i i think that's a really long way to go you could just get nuclear weapons probably, just by buying them off of Pakistan. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Um, it's, yeah, for me, not very clear. Okay. I mean, you you do have major solar projects. I think Dubai, uh, not Dubai, but the UAE next door has one of the biggest solar fields in the world. I think that was announced, maybe even on this program, uh, last year. And, and Saudi Arabia does its, its fair share of alternative energy investment, but uh, maybe it's not enough. But I also think there's a certain element of, I want to say, prestige, uh, oddly enough, with being able to, to do the nuclear thing, to show itself as a, as a powerful nation, uh, or at least a significant nation. So I, I think they're going forward with this um, because the, some of the initial agreements look quite, uh, well, they're, they're promising deals in the near future. So, And then you have nations like France that really want to do it, that, that are that are ready to go, build some power plants. Let's do it. Fire yeah. it
0: up. Yeah, yeah, they are fired up for sure. I mean, there's no space left in France to build new power plants, no. so that's probably why.
1: And the, and there's no public support, whereas in Saudi Arabia public support doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> yeah, not everybody is going the path of Germany and Sweden.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So keep an eye, and we will too, on nuclear Saudi Arabia. Next on the list, and this one is familiar to me from years ago, talking about the undersea mining rush. Uh, That was for the Arctic when I used to talk about it. Uh, Now we have the announcement this week. Undersea mining is three years away, ladies and gentlemen, three years away. Uh, Enjoy the ocean one more time because you only have about three years the UN's body for handling undersea mining. It exists. It's called the ISA. The ISA has released their first study. uh, Actually, it's more of a recommendation or a list of guidelines for issuing licenses for deep sea mining. Uh, People who have been following this issue know that, of course, it's it's not just I don't think it's just suspected. It's known that deep under the ocean, you can find minerals. And there are many companies that say they are ready, they have the technology to go and start digging. Now they're going for the licenses. And of course, because we're talking about international waters, uh, these licenses have to be issued by some, you know, not a one-nation organization, so of course it's the UN. Oddly enough, in this study, which I haven't read the whole thing, but in the study, uh, the ISA says states clearly that um, the environment will be harmed. I mean, we're going to do this. We're going to give licenses. There's going to be damage. (laughs) Their goal is to reduce the damage or or keep it as low as possible. They even have some rules because it's an international organization, uh, I guess uh, this is why. They have rules about how if you make money, you get a license on undersea mining, then you should invest part of your profits back into a, uh, well, they say developing country. Uh, This looks unique at first glance, at least for me, but then I realized when you do mining on land in, like, the developing world, you probably also make agreements with the country, and maybe you pretend, and I say pretend here, that you're going to invest part of your profits back in the country, and maybe you do, maybe you don't. You know, we know many examples from around the world where they find a way around it, you know, they they build a few roads, but not all the roads. Uh, you build a school, no desks and, and even know.
0: if they invest i mean who uh, you know qui bono who 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 gets the money in the end uh.
1: Tuvalu. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm it's just, just re, re,
0: usually reduced to a small elite uh, taking the profits. And, and in the end, there's no long-term effect for the whole country, at, at least not on a large scale. And every country that has sort of taken the other path and uh, um, you know, reduced the amount of licenses given out to other countries, reaping the profits for the country themselves, like Venezuela, for instance, in Latin America, we've seen this trend evolve over the years. They have done much better than with the old system. But mm-hmm. who's getting the profits here? I mean uh, the ISA, we should explain what this is. This is the International Seabed Authority. So it's mm-hmm. part of the UN. Yeah, I didn't know this exists at all. It's uh, strange. So, yeah. so they say they are sort of, they have the right to put out their license for this. And if they don't, uh, it's going to happen anyway, or what's the deal here?
1: Well, they don't say what happens if they don't. Uh, I mean, this came, the ISA came to exist under the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, which is actually, to my understanding, quite old. The Convention on the Law of the Sea, one of the older ones to manage international waters. Uh, so, you know, they've been putting this off for a while. I I don't know what happens if they don't do it. I think, yes, uh, uh, companies would go and and just start mining under the sea. So, you know, in a way, this is the only, maybe the only organization that can try to do this. The problem is, how do you even, I'm going to use the word police, how do you even police this kind of thing? Uh, You know, you give your licenses for people to do it officially, but what if a company is doing illegal undersea mining? How does the ISA detect that? Yes, uh, I, I I don't know satellites. <laughs> um, yeah, I
0: mean it's not that you just you know do a regular checkup on something that's five <laughs> kilometers below sea surface.
1: I was driving my submarine through the Pacific, just yeah. around the corner from the candy store, and I saw a bunch of submarines taking gold.
0: I yeah, I, w- I really want to see a razia going on in, on on these construction sites.
1: Yeah, I don't know how that's gonna happen. <laughs>
0: It's probably not. Yeah, it's a more no. a James, James Bondesque <laughs> way of looking at things.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, several companies have already pli- applied for these licenses. They're going to be given out in 2013. I saw one of the mentioned uh, hotspots for for mining. It's in the Eastern Pacific, and I just wanted to use this as an example. Um, a five million square kilometer area. <laughs> Modest. And it's known as the Clarion-Clipperton Zone, uh, and they say there's 27 billion tons uh, that of minerals that could be lying just in the sand on on the ocean floor, and they contain manganese, nickel, copper, cobalt. I mean, it's not even known how much of it they can actually get at, but it's known that it's it's down there. Mm. Uh, so that's the other thing. You know, I don't know if some of these companies are fully capable or just saying like, eh, probably we can get to it. And then, you know, what problems may come. The scientists quoted in these types of articles, because there have been several now, they of course talk about what happens if you if you mess with the ocean floor and with the ocean ecosystem, the, the side effects that we will experience on Earth uh, as humans, what we eat, but not just that, uh, you know, so... There are a lot of side effects to what's about to happen. Now, you could say there are side effects to what we've done with mining on land, which would be a fine point. But now, here we go, we're going to do it in the ocean as well. So, I I don't, you know, one of the sort of arguments is well, we do it on land, we do it on the sea.
0: Yeah, but we've also seen what what happens if uh, something goes wrong under the sea. If you look at the BP oil disaster just um, two years ago you know it takes months to to fix that and the the, the number of resources uh, that need to be invested to to get something fixed if it's fixable at all you know nobody really knows what's going to happen nobody has ever been there and i'm not saying mankind shouldn't you know uh go mm-hmm. for the next big miracle and find it out it's just um we're digging out stuff and, um, what if we dig out stuff that was never expected to you know leave this place <laughs> hmm. and could poison and could be a, a source of of poison for the oceans that we just can't control yeah. and that's a problem I see
1: one of the big names that I've seen in all the, the at least the early reports about underwater mineral extraction is. This company Nautilus Minerals, and they're actually a Canadian firm. You know, Canadian companies very into the mining. Canada has the image of a country where you know people are very nice because they are, but uh, when it comes to mining on land and soon on sea or in the sea, the uh, Canadian companies are, are extremely active and not necessarily always good for the uh, the planet. I mean, not that there are better mining nations or worse mining nations, but Canada very into it. And they're going to be one of the first to get the, these early licenses, especially in the Pacific. I think they made a deal with Papua New Guinea or Indonesia to get at uh, some of the waters within the, those borders. Um, there was something else I wanted to say about this. Hmm. No, I don't know.
0: Yeah. So this is about to happen. This, is this already a decided...
1: Uh, yeah, it's same. three years away. It's three years away. I mean, there will be more Three reports. years until
0: they will give out the licenses.
1: Right. Yes. Not
0: three years until actually mining is happening. But that's more or less the same. Yeah,
1: I think so. And also because we know, the, the, it's been going on for over a year now, that these companies have been making agreements with, with countries for within their, uh, what do you call it, uh, sea uh, territory, mm-hmm. to, to start exploring. So th- they're already quite on the road to being ready to, to mine. So if licenses come out in three years, it won't take long. Oh, the thing that I wanted to say was there's this, you know, there's this argument against or or in favor actually of mining against the whole environmental discussion, which simply says we need this. And that's, that's one of those things I'm not even sure about. They say because of the amount of resources we, we require, precious metals, all these things, not just, you know, what we like, but what we need for <laughs> our devices... Um, that we're going to need the minerals that are under the ocean floor. So that's the other logic for getting into this world. You know, never mind what we do to the earth. The way we live, if we want to keep living this way, we need the resources under the sea. I don't know if that's true, but I, think it's a, I know that it's a pretty strong Oh yeah, uh, if we keep on point.
0: living the way we live, <laughs> for sure, but that's the problem. I mean, there's so much material already dug out and uh, being thrown away and not recycled properly and uh, copper and all these things we desperately need for modern technology. Uh, It's not that there's nothing there yet. And It's also that in many cases, uh, like lithium and so on, we could also press for more sustainable technologies, find other ways to build accumulators and and, and so on, batteries. So, yeah. I'm not happy with this.
1: No, no. Uh, And it's strange how unstoppable it seems. You know, like... Too much money involved. Yeah, Yeah, too Too much money involved. Yeah. All right, we'll keep an eye on the ocean. And in the meantime, try and enjoy... We take care. Yeah. (laughs) Next up, we go to Nigeria. And here's one uh, I don't think we've discussed often, although the name may have come up a few times in the last few years. Uh, You know, there's a a war... Uh, To a certain extent, there's a war going on in Nigeria, and it's this, their war on terrorism. Uh, It's taking place in uh, three particular states in the north, uh, Borno, Yobe, and Adamawa. And it's the battle against the, I'm going to call them a terrorist group, uh, Boko Haram. Uh, It's considered one of the bigger terrorist groups in Africa after Al-Shabaab. I think they come in second place at the terrorist Olympics. And uh, this week, the Nigerian government has announced a successful campaign, although they're still going on. But, you know, the Nigerian military likes to uh, release some good news. And they say that uh, they've been doing well. They've successfully captured or killed members of Boko Haram in these three states where there's currently a a state of emergency. Now, along with this, you get the reports, not from the government, uh, that 2,000 or many uh, more than 2,000 people have fled uh, these states. They're going into Chad. They're going wherever they can go to get out of this uh, war, effectively a war. And uh, I've seen the reports in in different channels, uh, some Nigerian, some, uh, well, Al Jazeera actually covers this fairly well. And you see that the Nigerian military is using everything they've got. It's it's, uh, jets, it's helicopter, gunships, and they're the, you know, it's this campaign against terrorism. The numbers that they report in terms of deaths and captures are quite small. In terms of how how much equipment they're using, they're saying like 30 dead, 14 terrorists maybe have been killed, uh, only three soldiers killed. So I, I get the feeling that this is one of those areas of the world where you don't get the full information, the full story, because it's such a, a dangerous and isolated uh, region. I mean, I think it's isolated. And, uh, you know, I went digging. I mean, Boko Haram is a name that if you've followed news from Africa, especially in terms of terrorism, they've been, their name has been going around for a few years. Uh, they've done a lot of their own attacks in Nigeria. Um, according to most reports, uh, they've been responsible for some of the big terrorist attacks, uh, almost a thousand deaths. They've caused in the last few years, uh, and it was founded only in 2001, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the battle against Boko Haram continues, and I think is going across borders now. And uh, Nigeria, of course, you know, very determined. Also, very strange when you read these reports, you get a lot of quotes from the president, and I still think it's weird that you have a president named Good Luck Jonathan. It just sounds like they're always wishing him good luck every time <laughs> they say his name. <laughs> good luck, Jonathan. He said,
0: (laughs) "Oh my God, that's his name." Yeah, that's that's his
1: name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they say it very seriously. They have to. It's the (laughs) news. It's the name. Yeah, yeah. But I always think they're wishing him well (laughs) every time they quote him.
0: Yeah, we should change our names.
1: Yeah, Uh, uh, I'm I'm
0: changing from (laughs) Tim to Praise the Lord.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have a nice day, Tim. Is the new president. (laughs) <laughs> yes,
0: oh, okay, yeah Nigeria is also one of those countries that you know gets all the money from uh oil resources, basically, and that's where the money for all those weaponry is coming from and in a way, it's also probably part of the the whole problem because there's so much money flowing into that country that you know all these groups are sort of fighting for it.
1: Yeah, it's, I was I was looking at like the equipment that they're using, not to not to obsess about details, but uh I was curious, you know, where do they buy their all this military toys that they want to use now? And actually I just saw a lot of Toyota and Japanese trucks with the custom made, you know, army stuff on the outside. And I was surprised I thought they'd be buying a lot of uh, you know, US-made uh uh, humvees or something but no they're 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 buying from all all kinds of sources but yeah nigeria has this this issue you know i was looking at a map this week uh i don't have it in front of me of the biggest regions for uh, a risk of terrorist attack i don't know if you've seen this no. um and they of course they div- divide it by color and uh nigeria not surprising for what's going on is it has like dark red because uh, the country is always at risk different parts of the country of terrorist attacks they have such a a large movement of people who are either against the government or or against some of the companies that are working uh, in cooperation with the government especially in the world of oil you know a lot of people that are fighting the oil companies and the government that that uh, is trying to defend them so yeah nigeria has this despite being huge and and quite wealthy uh, in government wise, um, it, it has a big problem in terms of, I don't know, keeping it together, keeping things safe. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll dig up that map by the way. And you can watch, uh, countries that have darker colors and lighter colors. I mean, we kind of know, uh, because wherever you live in the world, you've probably heard terrorist alerts in your, in your neighborhood or you've heard none. And that gives you an (laughs) idea how safe you are.
0: Okay, let's focus on one of the strengths of news of the world. It's election reporting.
1: We love elections. Cue the elections music.
0: Um, and <laughs> yeah, we don't uh, have any.
1: No, we'll get some. I don't know what elections music sounds. Maybe it's we a should March. have a,
0: a dramatic audio divider here also.
1: Ta-da. Oh, that's like heavy metal.
0: Yeah, whatever. <laughs> like so, Terminator. <laughs> uh,
1: we we got to keep an eye on things happening in Iran. Uh, Somebody has to. And uh, the Guardian Council. Now, that's the council that decides who can run for president because we've got an election coming up. Uh, Ahmadinejad is done. He cannot run again. And this week, the uh, Guardian Council bard Hashmi Rafsanjani. Now, I've been watching Rafsanjani. A lot of people have been watching his because he applied to to run for president. It wasn't clear if he was going to do it. Now, he's been president before, I think twice, in fact. And he's considered someone who is popular enough and strong enough to possibly get elected and be sort of a balance uh, to the Ayatollah's power. Unfortunately, he's been barred uh, by the Guardian Council, uh, along with an aide to Ahmadinejad, Rahim Mihai. I don't think he's very important, but he's also been banned, and they didn't say why. They often don't say why. Uh, so according to most assessments, all you've got left in this election are people who are friendly uh, and easygoing towards the Ayatollah, uh, which is exactly what the Ayatollah wants. And uh, the main guy right now is the chief nuclear negotiator, uh, Saeed Jalali, who knew that all those nuclear negotiation stories could one day get you to the presidency in Iran. I mean, really, there's no other issue that is as important. Um, I did notice there's one reformist still on the list, and his name is Mohammad Reza Aref. And he was the vice president to Khatami, who's a reformist. Uh, so there is one reformist, but I guess the reason, uh, because I don't know this Adef at all, but I think the reason they don't credit him as being a challenge or a good challenge is that he's not popular and he's unlikely to be able to uh, unseat any of the Ayatollah-friendly candidates. Um, one other note on this on this issue this week anyway, 30 women applied to run and 30 women were rejected. The Guardian Council... Uh, won't allow women to run for president. It's just something that they won't do in Iran.
0: Yeah, because they are not, I don't know, it's, they're not appropriate because they are women.
1: Yeah, it's not appropriate.
0: I mean, it's interesting. I mean, did you see anything about the reason why they rejected uh, Rafsan Chani? I mean, it's not that they could say, like, he is, you know, incapable of filling that position because he already had that position. I mean, he is the <laughs> former president. Um
1: uh, so f- it,
0: it's not that they officially said, like, oh, yeah, you, you could actually win. That's not how we play this game.
1: No. No, that, that's not how they play the game. Uh, he hasn't said anything, which I was kind of looking for him to explain. Maybe he knows. Maybe he gets a letter that actually says something. <laughs> um, but uh, they're not saying right now why. I mean, I, I don't think they need a flowery uh, excuse I think they can flat out say you're rejected and maybe they'll never say the words because you're a threat or because you're too independent. But I think they could say that.
0: Yeah, b- they'd probably say like because God t- told us to, you know. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I, don't, I don't even think they need to sugarcoat things. Uh, if, if you're the, the ruling powers in Iran, you can, you can just flat out, I don't know, reject <laughs> sure, that's yeah, that's it. When they, when they reject the, the women, uh, there was a quote just saying, the law does not, approved, does not approve women on the ballot. And that's it. They just say, the law does not allow. So maybe they can reject Rafa Sajani and say, the law no longer allows you to be president. <laughs> hmm. you've, you've had the job too many times.
0: Yeah, so that's, that's what Guardian councils do they guard and protect the established system.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the election by the way is on June 14th. So uh, actually that's that's sooner than I expected. We're we're surely going to have more Iranian presidential election updates and oh by the way, of course, Rafsanjani being rejected from the ballot despite the presence of one reformist, I think is going to cause even more protests and uh sort of mass demonstrations on the the day of the elections Mm. so i think that'll be one of the big stories to be watching uh next month
0: yes and we will do so
1: yes uh next on the list let's go to the u.s i spend so much time in the middle east these days and and africa uh You know, I've I've been reading stories over the last uh, month about the American prison system. And I know a lot of people get uh, some information about how the U.S. has many prisons, uh, one of the highest uh, rates of incarceration in the world. They're right up there with China. I think China's behind them now. And uh, as many people know, it's often private companies Uh, That run the prisons in the United States, not only, but often. Mm -hmm. And it's, of course, big business. And I thought it was interesting. One of the uh, news sites that I often consult, uh, Motherboard, uh, had a story about who who makes money on prisons, quite simple. And they used the stock market as a way to to look And I kind of, this is more recommended reading than anything else because I'm not going to be able to bring you all the details. There are some interesting names and what kind of businesses they're in and how much money they make. But one of the conclusions or connections that this article makes is that actually uh, the same group of investors and investment groups that are involved in private prisons are often the ones that have um, pension. Uh, funds, so for different states in the United States, for different uh, like um, teachers organizations, they actually take that money and use it well in different ways, including to invest it in private prisons. So there's this actually easy connection that is not often shown in public uh, between yeah your pension as a teacher. And that prison in your state, or or in another state, um, and the, of course the article points out how most people probably don't know that their pension fund is uh, actually funding uh, prisons, and uh, and that's the reality in the United States. They also show that beyond the United States, you have um, connections to, for example, the you have the foreign, um, the Canadian Mounted Police. And they also have a pension fund. And uh, until recently, their pension fund is also connected to private prisons in the United States. And I know that's like really uh, shocking for, for Canadians who, who wouldn't want to be part of such a thing. So,
0: so if people would stop killing each other in the US, which is probably not going to happen anytime soon, you know? but just if, you know, and um, less people would be sent to prison, the less money these companies would make the less the pension funds would make. So thereby the whole security of the pension funds would be going down. So turning it around means like it's good that people kill each other in order to secure the pensions. Uh,
1: yes, although you, you sh- we should point out that the biggest uh, incarceration cause or the biggest reason you go to prison in the US is drugs. So oh. it's really just keep smoking weed and getting caught because by going to jail, you increase the the budget for um, prisons, and yes, the return on 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 people's investments. So no, sell- it's, it's selling
0: drugs. so selling guns to kids and 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 you know continuing the war on terror actually keeps prisons filled, and this keeps the pension funds
1: yeah, healthy. In some ways, yeah. I mean, that's that's what's happened. I don't think these pension funds had to do this. I think there are other places to, you know, if you're into investing a pension, um, there are lots of ways to do it. And and actually, because of this kind of thing, we see, you probably have examples in Germany, I've seen it here, where groups of, for example, journalists uh, are, are sort of making their own pension funds. And one of the reasons they're making their own is they want to decide where it 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 goes i mean if they invest anything Mm -hmm. uh, they invest together and because they don't trust a lot of these large organizations like okay in this case we see that if you're a a civil servant in many states uh you can't trust uh your your civil servants organization to not put your money in in prisons Mm. uh so that's where i kind of enjoy the rebellion where people are doing it themselves making making
0: prisons private That's really one of the worst things I I see in the U.S. I mean, that's just so wrong on so many levels and that just shouldn't be the case. But it's uh, still a trend and it's increasing, isn't it? Uh,
1: It's, I mean, at this point, it almost couldn't get any worse (laughs) in that that they've privatized almost everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it is still a trend. You know, this trend of privatizing things is not that old. Uh, in general, uh, because not just prisons, but, you know, water and electricity. Uh, 40, 50 years ago, it, it wasn't so normal. It's something that really came out of the 90s and, and has gone worldwide. I mean, wherever you live, something is either private or been privatized or trying to be privatized. And then of course, now, because it's been a while in 2013, we start to hear from different examples where either people— or maybe even governments got sick of it and realized that in in this there are different situations the privatization of whatever it is garbage water power isn't isn't benefiting uh anyone really except for some tiny group that that owns these things and are re uh municipalizing or public you know bringing it back to public hands uh but in the US this trend hasn't it hasn't stopped. It, it continues. The privatization. Privatization is considered always the best idea in terms of being the cheapest, in terms of functioning well, in terms of being, well, yeah, affordable for the voter, you know, low on your tax money or, or no burden on you. It's still considered the right thing to do in this world. Um, so that's that's not changing. Uh, and, and we see that here in Europe, you know, a it, lot of government yeah, officials. I think mean, I think it is
0: changing, at least in parts of the society. I mean, there is one, I just noticed that we haven't yet spoken about this initiative to stop privatization of water uh, in Europe, you know, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: and uh, maybe we'll put this in the list for yeah, the I've, next show.
1: I've actually done two podcasts on this issue in the last two months, and I have another one coming next week. Uh, Because I'm into this, uh, I I want people to see this. I think it's really underreported. In many parts of the world, uh, in just water, for example, you've got Paris, uh, you've got uh, just outside of Toronto, a place called Hamilton, which is actually a a city, um, where they have taken the private water company back into public hands. They've done it in Tanzania as well. They've done it in Buenos Aires. Um, They're doing it in Berlin. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. No. I've heard talk about some fight about public and private, and I thought actually it was power. No,
0: they're buying it back.
1: So they're buying back the water company.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Who owned it? Or it was just some private German yes. water? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was, was yeah, it this?
0: Put, put the links to your show, please, in the uh, show notes okay. so that we can you know, point the listeners to, to, to these topics and maybe we, we pick up on, on this issue later on. Yeah, but for now we should probably end the show not without adding another new source, and I guess it's more or less about the same site you've just mentioned, right?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of uh, Motherboard, which is actually a a section or a a subgroup of Vice Magazine, and I guess these days Vice Magazine is really uh, making a lot of headlines, getting a lot of attention. Um, motherboard as it sounds is more, uh, technology focused. Although what I love about them, um, and we can be critical of a lot of technology websites because they just say like, here's a new thing. It's going to be cool. Uh, motherboard does not do that. It's more into some analysis and some actual reporting about, um, yes, related to technology, but not only, um, what I also like is it's from vice and vice is an interesting magazine in general. Kind of a cool history, originally from Canada, moved to the U.S. Nowadays they have a, I'm going to call it like a magazine-style show on HBO in the U.S. where they go to some of the most unlikely or scary parts of the world and they report on conflicts, um, on on some, well, lesser-reported issues only because nobody has the, the nerve to go. It's a bit... Um, what do you call it? Uh, show off a bit of, a, you know, exaggeration sometimes. Like I've seen them in Kabul and they, they act like every little thing in Kabul is dangerous, which is totally not true. And I know that from experience, but you know, because they're there and they've got the cameras, they make it look very dramatic. So it's not, it's far from perfect, but, um, they're the owners of this, uh, motherboard and I, I, do enjoy it. Um, it's, yeah, it's better than the usual technology review, and it's quite international. Uh, I bet a lot of people listening actually already read Motherboard because it's been quickly rising in the world of uh, technology and news reporting. So I recommend them, and uh, and if you have the means, check out Vice, uh, Vice magazine in general because it's it's quite interesting. The show is cute. So uh, And actually, they cover some of the conflicts we talk about here on News of the World, especially in, in Africa. Um, they've tried to go and, and report on these different uh, conflicts. So that's my recommended source for this week. Yeah, interesting.
0: I haven't really had a look at it. It's, uh, that's English only. Vice itself yeah. comes in uh, various languages, including German. Um, although I haven't really followed this one. But it looks much more mainstreamy on one hand, but it's not too much onto the general news stuff. It's more, yeah, as you said, a magazine-style reporting.
1: They try very hard to be cool, and that could be a bad thing.
0: Oh yeah, they really do. (laughs) I'm not so sure how i like that
1: but check out motherboard because it's uh it it, well some of the stories here come Mm -hmm. from motherboard so if our stories are any good well then they must be halfway decent
0: (laughs) okay mark that's it
1: yes uh any any travels for you uh, no i'm staying home yeah me too (laughs) it's about time
0: not traveling much these days
1: i do want to plug since we're Uh, towards the end here uh i did put up a podcast this weekend uh with the syrians i I guess i talked about syria last week Mm -hmm. um some syrian voices and it's really one of my well it's a podcast i worked really hard on. i put my heart and soul into it and um i'm enjoying the feedback and and if you haven't heard it i i'll share the link yeah that's good uh it's
0: all on citizenreporter.org i guess that
1: is correcto Mm mm-hmm And otherwise, we'll be back again next week because we are, uh, that's how we do. Yes. All right. Yes, we are.
0: Okay, Mark. Yeah. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye to the listeners. Goodbye. See you next time.